Good, good. Just want to welcome you uh, to church for all, whether you're here in person or watching online. Uh, truly an honor and a privilege to have you with us today. And uh, we've been in a series entitled A Church for Blank, A Church for Blank. And each weekend, we are filling in that blank. Uh, last weekend, Pastor Charlie preached a phenomenal message on the one. Uh, and ultimately, he unpackaged this idea that God loves people and we ought to love people as well. Amen? And this weekend, I want to add another message, uh, share another thought, fill in another blank as we talk about the weary. A church for the weary. A church for the weary. And perhaps this Sunday morning, as we wipe the sleep from our eyes, uh, as we sip our second or seventh cup of coffee, uh, we could all admit we're a little bit weary. Uh, it's been quite a year. It's been quite a season. And perhaps we all find ourselves just a little bit tired, and that's okay. So I want to take a look at the Bible, see what the Bible has to say about that, and uh, share with you a few verses that are unarguably some of my favorite verses in the Bible, uh, powerful words of Jesus, words that are not only profound, words that are not only pivotal, uh, but words that I believe are timely and momentous uh, for the hour and occasion we're living in. Is that okay? So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. If you're familiar with the Gospels, these are fairly familiar words of Jesus. And Jesus says this. I love these words. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to read these same verses out of the Message Bible. I love the way this reads. Do we have that? The Message Bible. It reads this. Are you tired? Uh-huh. Worn out? Yep. Burned out on religion for sure. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I love this part. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. If you would, stand up with me. Let's pray. And then I'll share a few thoughts. Jesus, we just thank you so much for our time together. We thank you for these moments we have. We pray in these moments you would speak to us by your word, about your word, and through your word. That your word would be alive and active today. That it would change our lives, change our hearts, transform us in every way, shape, and form. Lord, I pray for all of us who are weary, who have weary souls, that we would find rest, we would find hope, we would find peace, and we would find joy in you. We thank you for it. And we just pray, next fall, the Seahawks do well. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can go ahead and sit down. They need a little bit of prayer. We had uh, not too many draft picks this year. So, Well, the, um, the fall of my senior year in high school, uh, my basketball coach also became the assistant cross-country coach at our school. And in doing so, there became almost this unwritten rule, this unofficial policy that if we did not play a fall sport, we had to run cross-country. 
he wanted us to get in shape for basketball. Now, we were seniors in high school, so we thought we were pretty cool. Uh, I thought, how hard can cross-country really be, you know? I mean, we were basketball players. We were athletes. We had endured two-a-day practices. Uh, We had run lines. I figured, how hard can frolicking through a field really be, right? How hard can cross-country really be? Uh, I would soon find out how hard cross-country is. And I can still vividly recall driving to my first cross-country meet with one of my friends, and we were hungry. Now, what I'm about to tell you is true. This really happened. On the way to our cross-country meet to run, we were hungry, so we stopped to eat at Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but Taco Bell is not real food. It's not. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man that ends in destruction. I believe this is a direct reference to Taco Bell. Because when you eat it, it tastes good, tastes okay, but about 30 minutes, 60 minutes later, destruction. I'll just leave that there. So we ate whatever Taco Bell had, like 100 tacos for a buck, uh, whatever it is that they offer. And, and we ate, we, we threw down, we, we gluttonized. So much so that I can vividly recall uh, pulling into the parking lot of our cross-country meet, and I was still eating tacos. We got out of the car, we're holding our Taco Bell bags, our coach sees us, and he's just like shaking his head, rolling his eyes. But he also had this subtle smirk, you know, as if he knew something we did not. As if he knew what was about to go down. Well, we walked up to where the other runners were, and I immediately felt out of place. I immediately felt out of my league. Uh, For starters, all of these runners, they look like runners, right? They look like gazelles. It looked like God had created them just to run. And, and, and I remember they were wearing their running clothes, their running attire. Uh, those of you who are runners, you know running is like a culture. And, and they're wearing their running clothes. I, in turn, am wearing basketball shorts, my J's untied. I still have Taco Bell on my face, right? Uh, they look like they should be sponsored by Nike. I look like I should be sponsored by Taco Bell. You, you follow? I remember one runner, he's like stretching, and, uh, and it's almost like he was bragging like about his flexibility, his athleticism, because he had like, he's pulling his foot back and it's like over, his foot is over his shoulder and he's holding his foot in his hand while he's just carrying on a conversation. I, on the other hand, I'm carrying my chalupa wrapper. You, you get the point. I was ill prepared. We step up to the start line. The gun sounds, boom, we're off. I am in first place for about 100 yards. And then runner after runner started passing me up. Before long, almost every runner had passed me up. I had no idea what long distance running was all about. I had no idea of this very important thing called a pace. I I didn't know what it was. About halfway through the race, I found myself exhausted, fatigued, weary, tired, with a side ache from all the Taco Bell I had just eaten moments before. Well, by some miracle, by some act of God, I actually finished that race. 
uh, somehow the grace of God just picked me up and, and I actually crossed the finish line. Maybe better said, I toppled over the finish line. And, and I remember just kind of lying there. You know, all the other runners, I think, were getting in their cars to go home. And I had just finished. <laughs> and, and I remember just lying there on the grass, staring aimlessly into the blue sky, exhausted, fatigued, weary, tired, thinking, why does anybody do this? <laughs> why does anybody run cross country? But I share this story uh, because perhaps it serves a little bit of a word picture of many in our world today. We're just kind of lying on the grass of life, exhausted, <laughs> fatigued, weary, and tired. And maybe you walk in and you say, I'm not completely exhausted. I mean, I'm okay. But at the very least, I think most of us suffer from what I might depict as a low-level exhaustion, right? I think a lot of us, if we were really honest, we would say that we suffer from a low-grade fatigue. You know, a really low-key angst, a low-key anxiety that just kind of looms in the background of our lives. That we've just determined is part of living in the day and age we live in. Just a necessary evil living in the 21st century, just the way it is, as they say. And then Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And perhaps hearing weary, those words just a little bit, we find ourselves maybe a wee bit like skeptical, right? Maybe just a little bit cynical, like, really? I mean, really, Jesus, even in the 21st century, really? We ask ourselves, is there really a reality called rest? Is there really this place called peace? Jesus, is this real life, you know? We're like, perhaps Jesus hasn't met my boss because my boss doesn't know the word rest, right? Knows the word work, knows timelines, deadlines, bottom lines, but rest? I think maybe he was absent the day they taught rest in college, right? Maybe some of us parents are like, rest? Jesus could only say that because he didn't have kids, right? Because <laughs> if Jesus had my kids, he would be exhausted too. And we're like, rest. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I have rest for your weary soul. See, listen, Jesus came to turn everything upside down so it could be properly placed right side up the way he intended for it to be. Jesus comes into this world and he starts speaking of a different way of living. Jesus shows up on the scene and he starts speaking of a kingdom that is not of this world or this world system. Jesus arrives on the scene and he starts saying things that make people's jaws drop. Make their eyebrows raise, make them scratch their heads a little bit. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, the first shall be last. And people are like, what? Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, the greatest among you will serve. 
Jesus shows up and he says, if you want to live, first you must have to die. If you want to gain your life, you must lose your life. And people are like, what? Because Jesus came to turn everything upside down so it could be properly placed right side up the way he intended for it to be. Jesus shows up on the scene and he starts speaking of a kingdom that is not of this world. A kingdom that has far less than a different language, far uh, uh, more than a different dialect, far more than a different structure or infrastructure, but a kingdom that is contrasting of this world and this world system. Jesus shows up and he starts speaking of a kingdom that plays by different rules, a kingdom that adheres to different values, a kingdom that cheers on and applauds a very different finish line. And Jesus says in that kingdom, Jesus says, in me, you can find rest. Not in this world, not in this world system. Jesus says, in me, in me, you can find rest. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, which is easy, my burden, which is light. Someone say yoke. That word yoke, when Jesus used this word, he ultimately had two purposes. He had two meanings to this metaphor. First off, a yoke, number one, is a set of teachings. It's a set of teachings. In the first century world, rabbis and teachers adhered to a yoke or a set of teachings. And each of these yokes had subtle yet distinct differences. And those who followed after that particular teacher would attempt to live by and adhere to that yoke or that set of teachings. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, ultimately he's saying, live life the way I live life. Ultimately what Jesus is saying is learn to live the way I live. Do what I do. Learn from what I taught. Value what I value. Live the way I live, and you can find this place called rest. Jesus is ultimately saying, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He says, if you're burdened by religion, if you're bombarded by works and performance and accolades and applause, he says, come to me, and I will give you rest. He says, learn the unforced rhythms of my grace. Learn to live life the way I live life. And it's different than this world system. The second meaning to this word yoke is an instrument used for farming. A yoke was an instrument used for farming. Watch this. So first century farmers would use a yoke to combine two oxen together. Isn't it weird, ox, two are oxen, but box, two aren't boxing. I don't know. I don't know. I've always, I, I never did well. But they would use this yoke to connect two ox together. And they would use this yoke for particularly burdensome or troublesome jobs. And they would oftentimes connect a greater and stronger ox to a lesser, weaker ox. To help lighten the load. To help carry the burden. Ready for this? This is so good. Listen, listen. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, ultimately he's saying, connect your life with me. 
combine your life with me. Stop trying to live life on your own. Stop trying to solve your problems on your own. Stop trying to find solutions on your own. Connect your life with me. Combine your life with me. And this idea is illuminated throughout all the Bible. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burdens on the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Jesus tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Ultimately, he's telling Paul and he's telling you and I today, when we are at our worst, he is at his best. When we're at our lowest, he's at his highest. He's saying, connect your life with me. Combine your life with me. Let me help you. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Let's walk this road of life together. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus is unveiling. He's revealing. There is a place called peace. There is a reality called rest. But it's not in this world. It's not in this world's system. It's only found in him. I want to share with you uh, three yokes of this world. Uh, three yokes that lead to weariness. Three Yokes that lead to weariness. Three ways of our world that will lead to weariness. And they're prevalent ways. Uh, they're popular ways. We all struggle with what I'm about to share. Trust me. We all are challenged here. But three yokes of this world system that will lead to weariness. The first yoke is this. Busyness. Busyness. Our world is inundated with busyness, isn't it? Busy is the way of the world, yet busy will lead to weariness. In fact, if you ask somebody how they're doing, chances are they will respond busy or tired, right? Those are the right answers. You answer anything else, you're wrong. Busy, tired. How are you doing? Busy. How are you doing? Tired. How are you doing? Busy and tired of telling you how busy and tired I am. Those are just the right answers. If somebody asks you how you're doing tomorrow and you respond back rested, they will not know what to do. Their head might literally spin around. Like they, they will not know how to respond to you. If somebody asks you how you're doing and you say peaceful, they, they will lose their mind. Because you went off script. That's not the right answer. You know? They'll be like, well, you don't have to be weird about it. I'm just making small talk, you know? <laughs> because busy and weary and tired are the ways of the world. That's just the ebbs and flow. That's just how we live. But busy, while it's a way of the world, it will lead to weariness. Corey Tenboom, who was a great preacher, human rights activist, she says this. I love this quote. She says, if the devil can't make you sin, he will just make you busy. He'll just make you busy, just get you caught up in everything that we become. Uh, uh, we don't live out the purpose of God in our lives. We don't live out our full destiny in the Lord, just busy, just busy. 
In Luke chapter 10, we read of a story of uh, Jesus going into the house of two sisters, Mary and Martha. And you might know this story. Uh, Martha, we read, busies herself with the responsibilities of the home. Mary, on the other hand, sits with Jesus, sits at Jesus' feet. Martha, seeing this, grows upset. She's agitated. She's irritated. She's frustrated. Why? She wants Mary's help. So she goes to Jesus and asks Jesus to correct Mary so she can get help with the responsibilities. Jesus shocks the crowd, kind of like a Steph Curry three to win the game. He shocks the crowd. Jesus often did that. And he instead corrects Mary, Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, you're busy with everything except the only thing that really matters. Mary has understood this. And I think it's possible that we become busy with everything that we can lose sight on the only things that really matter in our lives. Isn't that true? Sometimes we can become so busy with everything that we don't have time to just simply sit with Jesus, to be with him. And yet I propose to you in a world inundated with chaos, in a world filled with noise, in a world filled with this hectic kind of just, just way of life, the sole way we will find rest is to sit with Jesus, to find quiet time with him, to have a place of solitude where we just get away and allow God to speak to our soul and bring peace to our weary minds. Right on? So busy is the way of our world, but busy will lead to weariness. Number two, number two. How about this one? Hurry. Mm. Hurry. And hurry is kind of like the sibling of busy, right? Hurry is almost a fraternal twin of busy. They're, they're very similar. Hurry is the way of the world, but hurry will lead to weariness. Everyone, we're in a hurry. We have something to do. We have somewhere to be. We have somebody to see. We can be meeting with somebody, but while we're meeting with them, we're already thinking about where we need to be next with somebody else. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? I know I suffer from that. We're there, but we're not really there. You know what I mean? We're present, but we're not really present. Do you know what I'm saying? We're in a hurry. If you want to see the epitome of hurry, just sit in traffic on I-5 during rush hour. Everyone is in a hurry with nowhere to go. And if you're a people watcher, it is entertaining. Right? I mean, people are honking. People are cutting you off to get one car ahead. People are telling you you're number one with a particular hand gesture. <laughs> Everyone's in a hurry with nowhere to go. I think they call that hurry up and wait, right? Just hurry up and wait. And perhaps in this world inundated with hurry up, the kingdom of God is urging you and I to slow down. Perhaps in a world that's filled with, with hurry up, that almost screams, hurry up. The voice of Jesus whispers softly to our soul, slow down. Just slow down. 
And see, this is difficult. Why? Because slow oftentimes is a bad word in our society. But again, Jesus came to turn everything upside down so it could be properly placed right side up the way he intended for it to be. Slow can be a bad word, right? It can carry a stigma, a negative connotation, a negative context. That movie is slow. That line is slow. That athlete is slow. He was slow uh, getting his paperwork in. She was slow getting back. Slow can carry a negative undertone. Slow could be a four-letter word, okay? We don't like slow. And yet Jesus says, if we want to live this life of rest, if we want to live a life of peace, perhaps in a world filled with hurry up, we have to take some time and just slow down. Just slow down just a little. Are you hearing me? John Ortberg, who's probably my favorite modern-day theologian, he says this. He says, we cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. If we want to see God's kingdom here on earth, if we want to live out what Jesus laid down, if we want to live out the life of Jesus, then we have to slow down. John Mark Comer, who's a pastor I love, he says this. He says, love, joy, and peace are at the heart of all Jesus is trying to grow in the soil of your life, and all three are incompatible with hurry. We want love, but we need it now. We want peace, but we're in such a panic. We want joy, but we're in such a hurry. And perhaps in a world inundated with hurry up, Jesus is urging you and I, just slow down. Slow down a little bit. Can you imagine a hurried up Jesus? Can you imagine this like stressed out, pulling his hair out Jesus? It kind of ruins Jesus, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Like, you know, Jesus, uh, the people are hungry. Well, you know, they should have brought a lunch. I got somewhere to be, you know. Jesus, Lazarus is dead. Well, you know, you should have told me earlier. We all die someday, you know. I mean, could you imagine? It just ruins. It's not the heart of Jesus. It's not the nature of Jesus. It's not who he is. In fact, we read on one occasion in the Gospels, Jesus walks slow, slow through a large crowd of people. He feels a woman touch the hem of his garment. A woman who had a disease since birth, he stops what he's doing. He stops his journey, turns to the woman, heals her. Her life was never the same again. Why? Because Jesus was never in such a hurry. He didn't have time for people. We read on one occasion, Jesus is preaching and he's speaking to the crowd and, and the people become hungry. It's long into the night. You think I talk long. Jesus talked a long, long time. And so they're hungry. The disciples, they start turning these people away. And Jesus says, no, 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 you give them something to eat. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus takes a few loaves and fish, multiplies it, does this miracle, feeds 5,000 people. Why? Because Jesus was never in such a hurry. He didn't care for people. We read on one occasion, they get word, Lazarus is dead. Who is Lazarus? He's a friend of Jesus. Lazarus is a brother of Mary and Martha. Lazarus was a friend of the disciples. They get word, Lazarus is dead. The, the disciples mourn. They cry. They weep. 
And maybe the verse we read next, while it's the shortest verse in all the Bible, it's two words, might be the most underrated verse in all the Bible. Arguably the most underrated. We read these two words, Jesus wept. Jesus stopped what he was doing, stopped whatever he had planned, and he cried with, he comforted with, he mourned with the people. You ready for this? Watch this. Jesus knew he would raise Lazarus from the dead. And he still took time to comfort and care for and love the people that were right in front of him. And sometimes I think we're in such a hurry that we lose sight of the people and the opportunities that God is sending our way. That he's nudging us towards. And may we never be in such a hurry we miss out on the people and the opportunities that God is sending our way. Hurry can cause us to have what I call selective blindness. Why? Because all we see is our task list. All we see is our to-dos, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we miss out on maybe the things that are the most important. Maybe the things that are right in front of us. Parents, our kids spell the word love, T-I-M-E, time. And may we never be in such a hurry that we don't have the time to sit and love and care and show compassion to the people and the opportunities and the things that God has put in, in our path. Right on? Hurry is the way of the world, but hurry will lead to weariness. And lastly, this last one, distractions. Mm. distractions. Some of us couldn't even see that one because we're distracted. <laughs> distractions are everywhere, aren't they? We live in uh, arguably the most distracted era of human history. I think now we don't call it distractions. We've renamed it so it sounds better. We just call it multitasking, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm not distracted. I'm just multitasking. I'm talking to you texting him, calling her, emailing them, and oh yeah, I'm driving, you know. That's kind of just the ebbs and flow of how we live our lives today, just multitasking. My favorite quote on multitasking, I think we have it up here, multitasking is the art of messing up several things at once. <laughs> Isn't that true? Perhaps the greatest distraction we have Perhaps the greatest tool of distraction in the history of humanity is that device we probably have in our hand right now. Is that device we have in our purse, we have in our pocket, our phones, right? Now someone's like, don't be judgy with me now, Matt. I'm not, I'm not. I have an iPhone. Someone's like, I don't. I have an Android. Why? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> I have an iPhone. There's nothing wrong with devices. There's nothing wrong with smartphones. Nevertheless, I think we always have to take inventory to make sure we have it and it doesn't have us. Right? We've seen the statistics. We've seen the stats. They're alarming. I'll share with you a few of them. Here's one. The average person touches their phone 2,615 times a day. 
That's like 2,600 times and then 15 more times. That's a lot of times. Perhaps we're a wee bit distracted. I'll be honest, as a germaphobe, that, I'm like, are we washing our hands? You know what I mean? It, that bothers me. Here's another one. The, uh, another one. The average person is on their phone three hours and 20 minutes a day. Double that for Gen Z, almost seven hours. So if you're awake 15, 16 hours a day, if you're Gen Z, maybe 12 hours a day. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. But if that means half of your waking hours, you're on your phone. We're distracted. All of us, we, we are distracted. How about this? Have you ever had your phone buzz in your pocket to put your hand in your pocket to get your phone and it's not there? And you felt it buzz. It's a real thing. It's called phantom buzzing. It's a real thing. I looked it up. Uh, researchers and experts say it's on the rise because we're so addicted to our phones, our brains are sending signals that our phone's with us even when it's not. Ah, ah. That's scary. Like, that's not my phone. That's just my backside, and it's buzzing. Right? I read a recent study in Canada, and it, it, it said that the average person now has the attention span of eight seconds. Because of our devices, because of social media, because of distractions, we have an attention span of eight seconds. To give you context, a goldfish has nine seconds. By this particular study, we now have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. That, you can look it up. That's a real study. We, we see study after study. We see statistic after statistic. We know the more we're on our phones, the more anxious we can become, the more insecure we can become, the more exhausted we become, the more weary we can become. There's nothing wrong with having it, but we have to make sure it doesn't have us. And perhaps in a world so noisy, Stu, you can come up. In a world so hectic, in a world so chaotic, perhaps the only way for us to live at peace, for us to live at rest, is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, the author of Hebrews writes these words. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That word fixing there, that word looking, it's derived from a, a, a Greek word. This is literally what it means. It means to look away from all else but Jesus. That's the literal translation to look away from all else but Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And perhaps in a noisy world, perhaps in a distracted world, perhaps in a hectic world, we need to learn to look at nothing else but Jesus at times. Because it can make you go a little nuts. To look to nothing else but Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I think we need more what I call worship breaks in our day. Say, what's a worship break? Do I just break out in song in the middle of my meeting? Do I just break out and sing reckless love in the middle of my Zoom meeting? No, not what I'm saying. But see, worship is far less about song and is far more about surrender. Whatever we worship, we place first and foremost. We place front and center in our lives. 
we start feeling the cares of this world crashing into us, when we start sensing the angst and the anxiety, the fatigue and the exhaustion mount up, I think we need to take a moment, whether it's a few seconds, whether it's a few minutes, and we need to worship Jesus again, to make him first and foremost, to make him front and center in the midst of all that is happening around us. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest, even in the 21st century, even in the middle of a pandemic, even in the middle of a crazy world, he can bring us rest. Would you stand up with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you that in you and in you alone, there's rest and there's peace. I pray for those who have a extra weary soul today. That, Lord, your grace would rest on them, that we'd fix our eyes on you, that we would look to you, we'd turn to you. For the next couple moments, just two, three minutes, I just want to just worship, and maybe you come in with a heavy heart. Maybe you come in with a number of things on your mind. Let's take a couple moments. Let's surrender to him as we close this morning.